You're listening to Community Supported Radio, KVMR, FM, Nevada City, KCPC, Camino Placerville, and it's time for the Thursday edition of KVMR's Evening News. For their support, we'd like to thank Ben Franklin Crafts, locally owned and offering the beauty and color of fall for arts and craft, home decor, school projects, knitting, Ben Franklin Crafts on Sutton Way, Grass Valley. Online at benfranklin-crafts.com. Also, Pete's Pizza and Tap House now offering delivery service, curbside pickup, and outdoor dining, abiding by state and local health mandates for the safety of Nevada County. Current hours of operation updated regularly at peets-pizza.com now delivery and Sons Development and the Alternative Building Center, offering environmentally considerate building design and materials since 1999, supplying recycled cotton insulation, local clay plasters, hemp shield exterior, wood finishes, and other bio-based products. Idaho, Maryland Road, Grass Valley, sonsdevelopment.com. After the NPR headlines and local weather, we'll have this week's edition of Brave Hearts, followed by a special NPR story of the concerning the difficulties of health insurance, and this week's edition of National Native News. Closing out today's newscast, we'll have Molly Fisk with an essay. At 6.30, we'll be broadcasting this week's edition of Making Contact and at 7 o'clock, Democracy Now! with Amy Goodman. But first, NPR headlines followed by regional weather. Live from NPR News, I'm Dale Willman. President Trump and President-elect Joe Biden are offering starkly different messages when it comes to celebrating on this Thanksgiving. As NPR's Windsor Johnston reports, those messages came as millions of Americans opted to travel despite dire warnings from public health officials to stay home as the coronavirus worsens. In a video message on Twitter, President-elect Biden said that his family celebration will be a smaller affair and a personal sacrifice this year. We might not be able to join our hands around a table with our loved ones, but we can come together as a nation. I know better days are coming. I know how bright our future is. I know the 21st century is going to be an American century. President Trump, meanwhile, issued a pre-Thanksgiving proclamation encouraging Americans to gather in homes and places of worship. The proclamation goes against warnings from his own government health officials to avoid large gatherings during the holidays to curb the spread of COVID-19. Windsor Johnston, NPR News. More reactions today to President Trump pardoning former National Security Advisor Michael Flynn. The pardon comes despite Flynn pleading guilty to lying to the FBI about his Russia contacts. Andrew Weissman was the lead prosecutor for special counsel Robert Mueller. Mueller's investigation led to Flynn's guilty plea. Speaking on NPR, Weissman says the pardon was not unexpected. It is not surprising, but it is still shocking. Um, which seems like it's an oxymoron, but it it really isn't um, in terms of 
the president, in my view, really denigrating the rule of law and abusing the power he has to pardon. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi, meanwhile, is calling the pardon an act of grave corruption and a brazen abuse of power. Government scientists estimate that nearly 53 million U.S. residents had been infected with the coronavirus by the end of September, and NPR's John Hamilton reports that the number now could be much higher. Most cases of COVID-19 are mild or asymptomatic and go unreported. So a team at the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention created a model to estimate the true number of coronavirus infections. It showed that between February and the end of September, only about one in eight cases was reported. If the model is correct, it means the true number of infections during that time period was not the reported 7 million, but somewhere close to 53 million. And since September, the number of reported infections in the U.S. has nearly doubled. So the true number of cases now may be about 100 million. John Hamilton, NPR News. U.S. markets were closed today for the Thanksgiving holiday. They'll reopen on Friday for a half day of trading. In Asia, Japan's Nikkei index gained nine-tenths of a percent to close at 26,537. Hong Kong's Hang Seng rose six-tenths of a percent. This is NPR. Scientists say recent heat waves in East Asia have left their mark on trees. So as NPR's Rebecca Hersher reports, researchers are using tree rings to study climate change. Heat waves and droughts are getting more frequent and severe in East Asia as the earth warms. That means less moisture in soil. Scientists in South Korea looked at tree rings to compare recent heat waves to those in previous centuries. The tree ring records go back 260 years. They're particularly useful because trees are sensitive to both moisture and heat and can live for decades or even centuries. The scientists found that as the soil dries out, it helps drive more intense heat waves, which in turn dries out the soil even more. That positive feedback loop could lead to runaway warming, the scientists hypothesize. The new research was published in the journal Science. Rebecca Hersher, NPR News. A county commissioner in northern Idaho is proposing that the local health district be defunded because it's ordered a mask mandate to slow the spread of the coronavirus. Commissioner Stephen Bradshaw proposed the resolution this week. It would pull some $250,000 from the Panhandle Health District. The mandate was ordered on November 19th. Bonner County Sheriff Darrell Wheeler says his agency will not enforce the mandate. The area has more than 9,000 virus cases and 160. Deaths. Federal officials say the next round of national reading and math tests for primary and middle school students will be postponed from next year to 2022. Officials were concerned about potential effects of the pandemic on the process and on the students' performance. I'm Dale Willman, NPR News. And taking a look at the weather, first here in the Grass Valley, Nevada City area, looks like we'll have a low of 43 tonight, high of 55 tomorrow. Pretty much sunny all week with highs in the low 80s. Sacramento, low of 35 tonight, high of 62 tomorrow. Again, sunny into next week with highs generally in the mid-60s. And in Truckee, low of 14 tonight, high of 45 tomorrow. Sunny through next week with highs in the upper 40s and no rain or snow. Welcome to this edition of Bravehearts. 
where we hope to increase your awareness and understanding of what homelessness looks like and some of the many organizations working on solutions to improve the homeless crisis. We are your hosts, William Wallace and Betty Louise, and these are the Bravehearts. Hello, this is Betty Louise, and I am here with Jesse, who has quite a story and a journey in the homeless community, and so I'm excited about him sharing a bit of it with you. So Jesse, it was back in April of 2017 when we first caught your story, and at that time you were living in the woods, you were playing music, you were working on Sierra Roots, a village for homeless people. So bring us up to date, you know, where are you now? But see, right now I'm like in transition. I think when you're homeless for like more than six years living out in the woods that it's kind of hard to um, transition back into getting a home or um, into the responsibility of paying bills and paying rent and the duty of being on time, being at the right place at the right time, and just basically being a man of my word, so to speak. When you're homeless, it, that's a lot of responsibility to deal with, so I'm kind of having troubles with that right now. I'm kind of like on the fence. Just to give people a little bit of background in case they didn't hear your last podcast four years ago now, Jesse was was living in the woods for many years, really. You know, you were communing with the animals. I just so remember that from the first time. And now he's got a place and he's indoors and he's dealing with rent and dealing with all these responsibilities. What I know about you is you've never shied away from work. You've always wanted to work. So share a little bit about what made you go from living in the woods for, my goodness, like six years to, okay, it's time for me to get a place inside. Um, what I realized from being homeless for so long and then now into a home seems to be you have to work hard. I know that. And if it wasn't for my job and constantly working at it, then I probably would still be homeless. I know that if you're out there and you're homeless, and you're trying to get into a place or get out of being homeless. I know it's a continuous circle. You know, it's hard to get out of being homeless. Once, you, once you're homeless, it, it's hard to get your head out of water in order to breathe, to go any place or swim or anything for that matter. I know for myself, just because I have a home, it doesn't really mean that I don't live homelessly anymore. I still live homeless, even though I have a roof over my head. It's all the drama that I can't handle. There seems to be lots of drama. And there's tons of drama in the world, I know, in homeless world even, too. When you have a house and a roof, there's just, man, you, you sure do have to put up a, with a lot of society. More of society being up your butt than anything. That part, I could do without, really. <laughs> I like living in the woods by myself without anybody around. And nobody knew where I lived, basically, you know. And, and that's cool because it's peaceful, you know what I mean? Having a place to live is stressful. And having a place to live is always a place where somebody can find where you're at. So I know that that part is the transitional part that's rough for me. Share one of your stories about being with the animals in the woods. The animal part, I don't think has changed either much. Even though I have a place to live, I still have tons of animals around me, <laughs> surrounded by them. Most of all, for homeless people, if we live in the woods, camp in the woods or whatnot, if you've been in the woods for a while and not been to town or anything, like you could stay in the, in the woods for, say, a couple of days or even longer and you don't come out, 
I mean, all the animals are really friendly, it seems like, but um, we have a saying, and that's like, even the deer look good. So I don't know if, if anybody knows what that means, but if you've been in the woods too long, and yeah, you see animals a lot, and even the deer start to look good after a while. So that's when you know it's time to get out of the woods, <laughs> time to quit camping or something, you know. But um, it's cool to have animals as friends, become one with nature or something, because um, I know for being homeless that um, pets are everything, you know what I mean? If, if animals don't like you, or anything like that, you know, it's kind of, you know, it makes life a little bit more rough because uh, everything is your friend in the in the woods. Homelessness isn't the best thing in the world. It's not the best solution. It's easy to get stuck in the circle and you can't get out of it once you're in it. And society seems to have put us in that circle too, so, or the county for that matter. That cycle is hard to get out of. Thank you for joining us today. Our hope is this segment has opened your heart and mind. Be well and be kind. This project was made possible with support from California Humanities, a nonprofit partner of the National Endowment for the Humanities. Please visit calhum.org. Next up, this special report from NPR. Every month, NPR and Kaiser Health News take a close look at medical bills that you send us. Well, today we're going to hear about a particular kind of bill that can be alarming to receive. It involves lawyers. Dr. Elizabeth Rosenthal is here to break it down for us. She's the editor-in-chief of Kaiser Health News. Hey there, Elizabeth. Hi. So a medical bill and lawyers, I feel my blood pressure going up (laughs) already. Tell us what's going on here. Well, this one involves what seems to be a growing problem. Different types of insurers arguing about which one should cover your medical costs. And of course, the patient is caught in the middle. If you've been injured in a car crash or your kid has broken an arm requiring a trip to the ER, you might just get a legal document in the mail asking for more information before your health insurance will pay the bill. All right, I'm intrigued, but already stressed out because you're you're in a stressful medical situation, and then you're getting these you know letters from lawyers asking you to fill out forms. That's right, a yikes moment. Adam Woodrum, who lives in Carson City, Nevada, got one of those letters concerning his nine-year-old son, but he and his wife were both lawyers, and so they knew something was up. We're going to hear what happened to Adam Woodrum and his son. Uh, We're going to get that story from Dan Weissman of the podcast An Arm and a Leg. Elizabeth Rosenthal, stay with us. Let's listen in. One Sunday last July, Adam Woodrum and his wife and their two kids took off on a bike ride around Carson City, Nevada, where they live. I'd mapped out kind of a 10-mile route. We were just going to kind of make a loop of the city. But a couple miles in, their nine-year-old son hit a snag. We were navigating through some big tree planters and his handlebar caught and it just almost instantaneously he was on the ground crying, bleeding. And I'm no doctor, but uh, you know, right away you can tell that this is a stitches situation. At the ER, they actually had to put the poor kid under. He was cut in sort of a personal area, (laughs) just to say that. A few weeks later, Adam's insurance company writes him, the total charges are 19000 and they say you are on the hook for all of it. It's just ridiculous. It's a ridiculous place to start from. And in the fine print, it said, we're denying this claim, but we could reconsider, quote, you will receive an accident questionnaire in a separate mailing, or you may go to website, blah, 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 or call this 800 number, or email subrogationl and l attorneys.com. 
with any additional questions. And it's clear as mud, right? But to Adam, it makes sense. The insurance company is trying to see if there's a way out of paying this bill. See, Adam's a personal injury lawyer. Accidents, insurance claims, this is his everyday professional world. I mean, I, this L&L attorneys, and I work with them uh, probably once or twice a month. I have their email addresses. I mean, I know who they are. And he knows what subrogation is. For the rest of us, it's sub, like substitution. The insurance company thinks maybe somebody else should be on the hook for this bill and sub out for them in paying because there's been an accident. It's basically a contractual right. Like if you were re-rented, the other driver or their insurance should be responsible. So the health insurance company is trying to get Adam on the record. What happened? Is there somebody else maybe on the hook? Please sign here. Health insurance companies hire law firms like this L&L outfit in Ohio to make sure you jump through the hoops. The law firm sends out their own letter with the questionnaire. Adam kept an eye out for it, filled it out right away. I knew exactly what to expect, and I knew exactly how to handle it because I know how to operate the system, but I, from experience, know that other people do not know how to operate the system. Other people like his clients. People just simply have no clue what subrogation is or, or what that means. You get a letter from a lawyer in Ohio that says, hey, we need you to come to our website and, and fill out some paperwork or we're not going to release your claims to be paid. And you go, well, nuts to you. I don't have any idea who you are or what this, what this is. So people ignore those letters and their insurance doesn't pay the medical bills. And they end up in collections. He thought sending in his bill would be a good way to give more of us a heads up. For NPR News, I'm Dan Weissman. What a story. All right. Elizabeth Rosenthal <laughs> yeah. is still with us listening in. First, just how is Adam's son? Is he okay? Yeah, he's great. He's back on his bike. That is the good news. What about, though, this bill, $19,000? What what happened next? Well, they knew how to handle it and insurance paid, so they only owed their normal deductible. But remember, they understood the game that was going on here. Yeah, he did. the dad is a personal injury lawyer married to another lawyer. I'm sure that helps. What should the rest of us do? Uh, for the rest of us, it's important to learn a lesson from them. While the insurers are duking it out over who will pay, the hospitals and doctors are often sending patients bills and threatening them and maybe even threatening collections. So I think for patients, you know, the, the first is our perennial lesson, don't just pay the bill. Take action. Fill out the forms they send you. Be clear about what happened. This was just a kid who fell off a bike. And let the hospital and doctors know why you're not paying the bill so they won't go after you. Also, if you have to fill out your own claims forms, beware of that little box we often see that says, was this caused by an accident? What that means to an insurer may be, hey, maybe we don't have to pay, which is not what you're thinking when you check that box. Well, I'm glad there was a happy ending to this particular story and wise words for the rest of us. Elizabeth Rosenthal, thank you for being here. Thanks for having me again. This is National Native News. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. The Little Shell Tribe based in central Montana saw its highest voter turnout yet for tribal elections. Yellowstone Public Radio's Caitlin Nicholas spoke with the tribe's re-elected chairman about his goals. On November 8th, members of the Montana Little Shell Tribe of Chippewa Indians re-elected all incumbent council members and executive board officials, including Chairman Gerald Gray, to his third four-year term appointment. 
Gray says securing federal recognition was his biggest focus during his last term as chairman. We've only been recognized for about 10 and a half months, so I'm excited to continue this work on behalf of the membership and look forward to really making the tribe as successful as we can make it at least in the next four years. The tribe was federally recognized December 20th last year, opening access to many resources, including from the Bureau of Indian Affairs and Indian Health Service, and the ability to purchase tribal land. To provide tribal members with health services, Chairman Gray says the tribe bought a small clinic in Great Falls in July. We have to um, renovate to meet the guidelines of IHF because Indian Health Service will operate our clinic for us, I think at a minimum of three years, and then we can slowly start to operate it ourselves after that. Gray says it's important the tribe eventually offers its own health care independent of IHS, as he wants a holistic health care system for the tribe, modeled after a system used by Native tribes in Alaska rather than IHS, which Gray says is chronically underfunded and offers limited services. Despite rumors the tribe would purchase 200 acres for a reservation, Gray says it's unlikely they'd find a single tract encompassing the tribe's defined service area of Glacier, Cascade, Hill, and Blaine counties. Don't get me wrong, under our economic development, we will buy land and we will put up elder veterans housing on those pieces of land that we do purchase. Chairman Gray says his overall priority is to find new ways to strengthen the Little Shell tribe's economy. I'm Caitlin Nicholas. This fall, a tribe in southeast Alaska won permanent protection for a site of a historic village. Jacob Resnick has more. Berg Bay lies on the western shores of Glacier Bay, made famous to the outside world by the writings of 19th century naturalist John Muir. But centuries earlier, it had been a major Tlingit population center. Then huge ice sheets forced its inhabitants to relocate south to what's now modern-day Huna. Bob Starbard is tribal administrator of the Huna Indian Association. He says much of the site is encompassed on a 150-acre parcel that was an original native allotment belonging to the St. Clair family. And two years ago, the family put the acreage up for sale. The asking price, $1.7 million. There were some development interests uh, on the part of the lodge owners uh, interested um, in developing, and that was a use that we felt was incompatible. But financing such a large deal proved difficult. The National Park Service was also interested, but the federal agency found that the asking price exceeded what the government considered fair market value. That's when the Conservation Fund got involved. Brad Mickeljohn is the fund's Anchorage-based Alaska representative. We heard clearly from the park that they wanted to find a creative way to make this happen because of the history of the use of the, the park by the folks from Huna. The fund partnered with the National Park Foundation, another nonprofit with a similar mission, to buy the property outright for an undisclosed sum. It's deeded the 150 acres to the federal government to be added to Glacier Bay National Park and Preserve. Formal plans will be worked out between the tribe and park service each spring. The grassy valley and 2,200 feet of beach along Berg Bay will be for both tribal members and park visitors to enjoy. I'm Jacob Resnick. And I'm Antonia Gonzalez. National Native News is produced by Kiwanak Broadcast Corporation with funding by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. 
The Indian Arts and Crafts Board promotes Indian artists of federally recognized tribes through its online source directory. Information on this no-charge opportunity available at doi.gov IACB who support this program. Support by the Association of American Indian Physicians and the SAMHSA-sponsored Opioid Response Network, working across the nation to address the opioid crisis in tribal communities. Information and support at aaip.org. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network. You are listening to Community Supported Radio, KVMR, FM, Nevada City, KCPC, Camino Placerville, and this is the Thursday edition of KVMR's Evening News. KVMR's news program airs Monday through Friday, 6 to 6.30 p.m. Coming up at 6.30 this evening, we'll have this week's edition of Making Contact and at 7 o'clock, Democracy Now! with Amy Goodman. Closing out today's newscast, we have Molly Fisk with an essay. Molly Fisk, Observations from a Working Poet. The pandemic has been teaching us things, hasn't it? Such as who among us doesn't like doing what is asked of them. Comparisons have been made to the London Blitz during World War II, when German bombers flew over the city at night and aimed for wherever there was light, since that meant there were people to be killed. Citizens were told to use blackout curtains or keep their houses dark entirely, and they did. Bombs are obvious in a way that a virus is not. If mask avoiders got bombed a few minutes after they refused to wear their masks, I think some of them, the ones who were still alive, might change their habits. One of the problems of this pandemic is the dangers in visibility, and for those of us in rural places, the physical distance between us and the effects of the virus. We haven't seen our hospital ERs overflowing with patients or refrigerated trucks full of cadavers. Many of us don't know even one person who's caught the disease. Today, people are gathering for Thanksgiving meals together without taking precautions. They aren't staying outdoors, they aren't wearing masks, and they haven't quarantined for 14 days to be sure they don't have COVID. One could say this is their funeral, except if anyone in those gatherings does get sick, it will mean more exposure to everyone they get near, their own families and hospital staff, from doctors to cleaners, at the very least. It's our funeral. The pandemic has taught me to avoid stores, or on the rare occasions when I do shop, as I did this morning, to go at 6 a.m. Safeway was empty except for the checkout staff and four other customers. The ceilings are high, and I was there for 10 minutes. I was the only person in line buying flowers, bread, and pomegranate arils. I thought the risk was acceptable, but if I catch the virus and die, these will be stupid things to have died for. I'm not sure what the equivalent move would have been during the Blitz. Lighting a candle to find your way to the outhouse? Or opening a blackout curtain to see what was happening on the street? 
A line keeps running through my head from Galway Cannell's poem, Wait. You're tired, but everyone's tired, but no one is tired enough. It's very hard to sustain big changes unless we're forced to. This is human nature. Without strong leadership, which we haven't had, Americans have not been forced to change yet, which is why anyone at all is gathering for Thanksgiving. Many of us are making things up as we go along, some rebellious, some compliant, few of us perfect. We've hit a difficult season, the one where we almost always congregate, that carries great emotional meaning for a lot of us, and when it's often too cold or inclement to stay outside. I'm finding it excruciating. How about you? Here's Galway's poem again, in case it might help. Wait for now. Distrust everything if you have to. But trust the hours. Haven't they carried you everywhere up to now? Award-winning poet Molly Fisk writes, coaches, and teaches writing in California's Sierra Nevada foothills. You can reach her at mollyfisk.com. This program is produced at the studios of KVMR-FM, Nevada City, California. Funding is provided by Harmony Books of Downtown Nevada City and KVMR with support from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Well, that's our newscast for this evening. KVMR's Evening News airs Monday through Friday, 6 to 6.30 p.m. Special thanks today to Molly Fisk. If you've heard something on this newscast you'd like to hear again, you can go to our website at kvmr.org where you can download audio and listen on demand. Coming up next, we have this week's edition of Making Contact and at 7 o'clock, Democracy Now! with Amy Goodman. For KVMR Radio, I'm Paul Emery. Have a great evening.